When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, we've uh, we've had another great week of Championship League action, which we've been enjoying. But um, as much as I love the Championship League, and I do, that'll pale into insignificance compared to our special guest we've got on this week. <laughs> well, good way of teeing it up, Phil. You're right. We have a marquee episode of this podcast for you. We really do. We are joined by one of the very best players in the history of snooker. This man's achievements in the sport are the stuff of folklore. In a career now into its fourth decade, he's won and done the lot. Four times a world champion, three times a UK champion, twice a Masters winner, with 31 ranking event titles in the cabinet, and all achieved with that indelible mark of pure excellence that has won him the admiration of snooker people the world over. Even into the 2020s, the success has kept on coming, with perhaps his finest single tournament performance ever winning him the Players' Championship. It's a great pleasure for us to welcome a bona fide snooker great to the podcast. We are delighted to say that John Higgins is with us. John, it's smashing to see you. How are you? Thanks for having me. That was that was very nice. But, uh, I don't know if it's merited, but no, thanks for having me on. Of course it's merited. It's genuinely lovely to see you, John. And, uh, you know, we are honoured and we can't wait to, to speak to you about your you know, amazing life and career in this game. But let's be topical from the start and ask about the here and now. How's your summer been so far? Yeah, very good. Uh, I think I said to you just before we come on there, today it was the first time I've hit some balls and since I lost to, to Mark Selby, uh, which was roughly nine weeks ago. So it was a pretty tough couple of hours that I put in on the table today, but I, I need to I need to get back to it, obviously, because the season's nearly upon us. And uh, as I say, it's getting tougher every year. Now you pull the queue out the case, but you've got to do it, I suppose. <laughs> so were you getting the itch to play or did you think, oh, I just really need to get back on there? 
yeah, that's it. I really need to get back on there. I, I wasn't feeling any itch, really. I don't know if it's the subconscious maybe telling you something, but uh, no, I need to get it back out again and then see how see how see how you're feeling. I, I need to I need to sort of get back on the horse again. And you mentioned the World Championship there. Um, obviously, we spoke to you afterwards, and you were disappointed to lose. But I think you, that's when you called Mark a monster on the table. You know, he's he was playing very well, but you were playing very well in the first two matches as well. How did you reflect on that most recent World Championship? Uh, disappointed, obviously. Now you, you you don't want to go there and lose any time, obviously, but. He played very well, Mark. I got I got on top early on. Uh, I had the lead about four one, but then I didn't really get any any clear cut chances to have a lead going into the second session. I was pegged back to four all, and then there was, I think there was a pivotal frame maybe at the start of the second session where I should have maybe won the first frame of the session. Mark came back, done a good clearance, and then he sort of took control of that session. He, he didn't let up really. Played played some great stuff. I maybe missed one or two, but no, he, he kept me. He kept me pretty quiet, and then he, he got on top, and then he's he's really tough to to stop really. But no, disappointed because I, I felt as if I, I played played well against David Grace the first round, and then against Kyron played. I thought I played really well. Uh, but as I said, sometimes it's it's about when you hit someone, and, and if they hit you back, and then if you if you're strong enough. And I, I suppose I wasn't against Mark for the two days. I mean, you, you mentioned that Cairo match. I mean, I remember us two on here and probably everyone else in snooker thinking this would be nip and tuck, probably go all the way. I mean, you just absolutely hammered him. And I mean, that must have given you, you know, a great sense of confidence, I suppose. And I guess because you've been there so many times, are you thinking then, I'm not go all the way here? No, as you say, because you've been there so many times, it's not about the first couple of rounds, really. Uh, I think I've done it before there. I think I've, I've had a couple of whitewashes and that before there, but I think you're too old in the tooth to know now. You think that can then automatically get you through the semis, finals, whatever. You know, you've got still so many tough games in front of you. So you just sort of forget about the games, and then obviously you've got to concentrate on the, the quarter final, which it was, and obviously I wasn't good enough. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens. And the thing when, is, when, when, oh, oh. sorry, cheers, Nick. Um, when you played Mark and he was such a tough opponent, which we know he is anyway, were you very surprised to see him not go on to win it? Uh, I, I was, I was, because obviously I, I, I never watched any of his semi against Mark Allen. I just heard it was such a such a tough. I think I went to bed. I think he was well clearing Mark, like, I don't know, 15-10 or 16-10 up. And then then I heard that he just fell over the line sort of thing. But I heard that was just really two days of tough slog. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, the Luca CJOE game, it finished this, a sort of similar scoreline, but I don't think it would have took anything out, out Luca, which it probably took out Mark. Uh, and then obviously in the, in the final, I, I didn't actually see any of the final until the final session. Mm. And it looked like I was playing some amazing stuff. But then obviously Mark, Mark came back in it really strongly. Uh, but Luca was incredible, wasn't he? he? The whole tournament incredible. And obviously behind the scenes that, that people were saying, 
Because he is, he's, he's, he's obviously a, a talented player. We've known that for many years, but he's a dedicated player as well. And then when you were hearing some of the stories, he was travelling back and forth to Belgium with his mates, and then he, he was having a few nights out as well, which is probably not like him. Uh, and he just wouldn't want to win it. It's just a stuffy fairy tale, isn't it? Yeah, it is. How much of that did you believe? Do you think he was over-exaggerated, or do you think, no, because you know him a bit, he really was having this sort of party attitude all the way? I don't think look as a type of young boy to lie like that. I think he's he, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Uh, he, he tells you tells you how it is. Uh, who knows? Obviously, he's the only one that would know if he had only practiced half an hour, an hour. But I don't think he'd have any reason to lie. No, so he might think that's the way the way forward. It pro- that probably would would work for the rest of his career this, this might be one of the matches but he's obviously put the work in over the years and he, as I said I think he's a dedicated boy he's obviously had a great tight that family behind him coming to the tournaments with him I, mean, I was delighted for his mum and dad as well now especially his dad that you, you've seen him at all, all the events and he's been he, he's been loving like the defeats he's been loving the, the lows as much as look I'm sure but that, that, that high and I think you can see with him with him at the end that he's maybe went out and said a couple of maybe said a couple of words to him and I think that's when you could see like a really breaking down. You know what I mean? So it was quite an emotional moment when you, when you watched it yourself and you you, you seen obviously what, what he was going through and uh, no every credit to him. He, he, fantastic, fantastic person I think as well for someone the way he plays the game. I think it was incredible for the game. Yeah, and I think we're all hoping that we might be able to get over to Belgium and and further afield as well. I mean that. That does seem that that's been lacking a bit recently, sort of widespread European events. That would be a big plus to get back over there a bit more, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that, that was that this is this could be a right shot in arm for the game. Uh, obviously, on mainland Europe, that hopefully we can capitalise on, or the powers that be can capitalise on it. Because if if you can't capitalise capitalise on it right now, after look at doing that, now there's something wrong. So I'm sure the whole the whole game's hoping. That can kind of a new lease of life over there as well. How much of it? I mean, like you said, we all know how talented he was, but I don't think anyone was really expecting this to happen. I mean, as as play, as fellow players, I mean, you played him in a final. How much mm-hmm. of a surprise was it to you to see him win the world championship? It, it was like half and half, really, because I I, I I know I know there was some talk. Obviously, I think uh, Phil Yates had said it, and one of one of the, the Podcast with, with David Hendon, I think they spoke about it, and he was his, his outsider. He said, "Although he never won a match here, he says he's a type of player. He could be like a Joe Johnson type player, and he really is. I think he can just uh, when when he gets on a roll, he, he can he can be unstoppable in the in the way the way he plays the game. And he's, yeah, he's, he's he's like he really has a one off the, the way he does play, and his long bridge hand and the way he pulls a cue back as if he's as if he's playing pool in a way. He reminds me a little bit like Chris Mellon that plays pool. He just pulls a few back so far now that, that and then when he comes through, I mean, it's, but yeah, he's, he's got a one-off, sorry, uh, style and uh, for, for him to do it, no, incredible. Absolutely incredible. But as I said, I played him, played him in the final the, the I was ready to see the Welsh Open. It was a Scottish Open, but in Wales. Yeah. Uh, he, played, he, played, he played incredible stuff against me 
against me there. So, so you, know, you know he's capable of it, but it's doing it, sustaining it over that length of time against the, the calibre players they got, that they played against. Make, make no mistake now, he's he's beat three of the best players that's ever picked a queue up now, and, and obviously like Williams and O'Sullivan and then Selby. So nobody can ever say he had like an easy draw or whatever. Now that's yeah. one of the best draws he would ever have. Uh, it really was st- stunning effort. We were saying that on here, one of the great ones you could ever have to win a win a world championship. I mean, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about today's game, contemporary game, a bit later. But we want to go back to your your early days, John. If that's okay. When do you first remember watching this this game that we all love so much? I think it was roughly around. I can't really remember Alex Higgins winning in eighty two. I think it would roughly be. Really taking notice of it, I think when Davis beat White in '84, I think that's that's when when I first remember. I would have been about eight or nine then, and I can remember watching it on TV. And that's when when I really, aye, I, I really sat up and took notice of it. I think that's roughly when when me and my brother we got a table in the house, we six foot table, and that's when the club opened in in my hometown, hometown of Wisher. Uh, it was around about the age of nine. So that, that's when it was. All right. I mean, I, I, I've heard you say a number of times, you'd have looked up to Steve massively, wouldn't you? He'd have been sort of a, a role model, someone you look up to. I don't know if it words in your mouth, but would it have been less of the case with Alex Higgins? Obviously an incredible player, but I think if you were sort of had a role model and someone you were sort of trying to imitate, it would be, it would be Steve more than anyone, would it? Yeah. No, it was never Higgins. No, it was, it was never Higgins really. Now, you think that's... When it's a, a person, your surname, I think, when you're that young, if someone had to say to you, there's like a world champion, the name Higgins, it, it was never him. It was just always Steve Davis, really, that, that just whenever I started watching it. Uh, aye, aye. And as I said, I think uh, I think when it was 84, 85, I think that's when Davis had the stranglehold, really, in the, in the world championships. I know. I know he lost it to Dennis and then obviously the following year to Joe Johnson, but then the years after that, I think he won it up to up to 90, I think it was with Davin Wright until then Stephen sort of took over. So uh I it was never it was never Higgins, it was always it was always, yeah, Steve Davis. He was he was the, he was the main man for me. Was that just because you liked winners or was it a personality thing, a style of play thing? I don't know if it was just because I liked winners. It was just, I don't know, it was just, it just, it was just class, wasn't he? I mean, he just, he just seen him and he was, just, he was just perfect. Everything was just perfect about him on the, on the table and he break building and, I, I don't, I don't know what, what how, how to describe it, but he just, yeah, he was just an incredible player, wasn't he? Unbelievable. And then how quickly did your game progress from under your little table? Were you, were you obviously great at the start, or did it take some building up? Uh, I always say this, but like really up until I was about uh, 13, 14. I, I, amateur players. I was, always, I was always playing in my local club in Russia, mm-hmm. and you were the sort of the best in the club. Really, obviously, there's some decent players in the club, but you, you, you were my older brother that was playing as well, and we were like two of the best in the club. 
but it's the movement they play against the top amateurs. I think Alan was still an amateur, Alan McManus, and it was like Drew Henry's, Ewan Henderson's, Paul Phillips. When I was coming up against these sort of guys, I was I was never really doing anything. And the, as I said, the turning point was was a thing when my dad contacted Big Tom Ian, who, who used to manage Alan McManus at the time. He ran the Masters Club in Deniston and he asked Big Tom if it was any chance of coming in and, and doing any odd jobs during the summer holidays to, to, to give young John free time or that. Because obviously it's difficult for your mum and dad now that they're obviously trying to bring up three, three boys, me, my older brother, my younger brother. My dad was working away a lot now on oil rigs and an electrician working away like a couple of weeks and then he was back home for a couple of weeks. So they never had any ready cash to... to to, to pay for you at, at, at the club, which was maybe four pound an hour, mm. three or four pound an hour at a time. So it was difficult times. And then, luckily for me, Big Tommy Heenan says, "Yeah, come in during the summer holidays and, and do all the odd jobs round about the club, and we'll see see how it pans out." And then John can go in and and play on the tables. And, and it was roughly that. It was invaluable those six months when I was in the Masters playing with, as I said, all, all the all the top managers at the time. And then I, I began to get a few games with Alan McManus, who was just and the verge of turning professional, and that was that was a turning point in my career. Yeah, because I think Alan, I mean, he's obviously he's tongue in cheek when he's doing a bit of a joke, but he does always say he was rubbish when I first met John. And I don't, <laughs> I don't think you could have been ever rubbish, but yeah, he, he does say like you did, you progressed quite quickly from there on in, though. Yeah, he probably, he really has. He's hit the nail on the head there. Really, as I said, <laughs> I was never, I was never going to do anything if I'd have stayed in that environment. And that's what I always say to the young young boys that I play. It's just that is the only thing I ever say. Always just try and play people that are better than you. Just mm. keep on keep on asking them, asking them, asking them. They might blank you, they might blank you, but then they might get you on the table and you might have a few games with them. And then that's invaluable because you could be picking balls out for a year or two, which I've done a lot with Stephen and Alan and things like that. But subconsciously now you... you some players will pick it up quicker than others, and I must have done that myself. We had Alan McManus on here a couple of years ago, actually, and he was talking about those early days of knowing you. And he says there was this one match, and I always remember you said it was table three. So he, and he says that you were uh, just brilliant by all accounts. I don't know if this is over-romanticising one performance or what, but he was saying you were knocking in ton, you know, 90, 80, 100, uh, you know, and he, and he said... This guy is going to be world champion. I mean, would you remember a specific match like that, or was there a few like that? And you, where you, the idea is that you progressed, and when you started progressing, it was quick. Mm. No, I've got to be honest. I can't remember that game when I played <laughs> Alan. It might, it might be, obviously he he could remember it because he's maybe seen me from not being very good, and then before you know, it, I'm, I'm maybe competing with him, or, or I'm maybe giving him winning a few frames off him. Now that's maybe. But he's taken from that. But no, at that time it was it was quite a quite a quite a big jump I was doing because at that time I think I think I, I went down and I played in the obviously the, the Meet a Masters, a junior tournament, which yeah. a lot of people have seen about when I when I played Ronnie and Mark Williams at that tournament, played another young guy, John Saunders at the time. I, I, I didn't know these guys. I'd obviously read read about them and, and pop blacks and snooker scenes and different things but I'd, I'd never actually played them I, I came across them live so that was my first time coming across them uh, 
and I managed to win the tournament. It was it was right, it was surreal. And then I won a couple of big pro arms at that time as well. If you remember winning, it was like a it was a big Irish pro arm. It was over in Dublin, and all the top armies at the time. And there was a there was a few professionals in it as well. I, I played Ken in the final of that. I think Ken was giving me like ten points a start. I think I beat Ken something like seven two or seven three, and I, I think I won about five thousand pounds for that. And then there was like a big pro arm up in Stirling when it when it was sponsored by we Ian Doyle at the time. I sort of went into his management stable. It was called like the Bostic Pro Arm, and it had all the all the Bostic. It had all the sweatership players in it, just apart from Stephen. He didn't play in it, but you had Gary Wilkinson, Mark Clark, Darren Morgan, Nigel Bond. You'd all them coming up, and you'd another. You'd a lot of the. The other professionals, maybe outside the top 16, but they, they were all there because it was like a £5,000 first prize and I managed to win that as well. So it, it just sort of all started snowballing uh, and that's when then I turned professional. It was about a year later, 17, that's when we all made the trip to Blackpool. <laughs> well, the thing about you, John Higgins, is that there's so much... You know, scope and so much in your incredible snooker story and uh, I just want to focus on that a little bit on that meter masters because you mentioned it and it included of course a very early television appearance which I'm sure I don't know if you probably know but it's still available on on, on YouTube but it's lovely to look at now because you know you, obviously you've changed in some respect but your character and Mark Williams character is already there from a from a young age so it's a sort of lovely insight into you know there's that almost that determination there still about you. And do you, do you ever joke about those old days with Mark? Aye, because we, we, we've seen it. We, yeah, we have a joke because it was funny because obviously I beat I beat Mark in the final there, and it was yeah, it was incredible, incredible moment for for the two of us. I, I believe Mark played in the on the main table earlier on. I think I don't know if he was in like if he beat Quentin Han. I think earlier on, or I don't know if Mark was involved in. Like a, a, the double side of it, uh, I really don't know. But I think he played on that main table before. But I think when me and Mark went out to play in that, and we obviously we've had the, the interview with Steve Davis as well. Steve Davis interviewed us before we went on to play, which was which was incredible. And then we went on and played. But then the funny story was obviously I, I beat Mark there, and I've won like five thousand pounds, a million pounds. But then the following week. I've travelled to Dudley, I think we played in the, the final of the British under-16s. And Mark beat me, I think he beat me like 4-0 or something in the final. And he won £200. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually heard him say that. He, he hasn't really got over it. He hasn't had <laughs> the levels. It's not... <laughs> well, I think over. I think he beat me in the final of the world for a hell of a lot more, I think. So I think he's got over that. <laughs> but no. It was uh, it, it, we obviously we still we still have a sort of laugh laugh for that when you think about it. It's, God, how, how many years ago was that now? Thirty-two, uh, I think. Thirty-two. <laughs> I thirty-two. So one thing. Well, I, I don't always like doing these, but I just want to say one thing about that time. I thought I just I'll put three things down, and I hope you don't mind. We're a similar age, anyway. Prime Minister was John Major. That's that's quite a good sign. U.S. President. Yeah. George Bush. I don't mean that George Bush. I mean the older George Bush, the one that followed the one that followed Ronnie Reagan, and right. and 
Ronnie Reagan does it, does it? Your face says that, that that's done it. And Liam Brady was manager of your beloved Celtic. So we're, we're not talking five minutes ago. <laughs> no, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? Aye. <laughs> I've sort of forgot about Liam Brady being, being the manager of Celtic, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> but no, what, what a player he was. But obviously, he didn't turn out to be a great manager for us, I suppose, during that time. But uh, no, it's a long time ago. A long time, but aye. You mentioned Jonathan Saunders there. I think you beat Chris Scanlon as well in that run. And that, those are two players that get brought up quite a lot uh, alongside you and Ronnie and Mark. as like seemed to be on the same level at the time, but for some reason didn't get anywhere near where you guys got professionally. Well, I get slagged off for a lot of the, a lot of the boys up here even. Because like, I just I just wax lyrical about Chris Scanlon <laughs> all the time. I don't think, I think that was the only time I ever beat Chris was in that junior tournament. Because then I think I played him a few times as a professional and he just used to beat me all the time. And it's a shame that he never went on and done well because I thought he was he was a class player. He was mm-hmm. he was really good. Uh, John Saunders, as I said, I, I, didn't, I didn't really know too much about John because then as soon as he turned professional, he just never really seemed to, to do anything as a, as a professional, uh, which was a shame. Because uh, I, I know, obviously, the likes of Ronnie and Mark rated them really highly but I think they played with them a lot more when they were younger when they were growing up 11, 12, 13 they've probably seen a lot more of Jonathan but Jonathan but I, I never really it was, it was really just a surprise to me with Chris Gammon that uh, they never really done anything yeah and I think you just mentioned it before the Norbrecht Castle what was it like going into that atmosphere in Blackpool as a teenager was it intimidating was it a lot of fun like, how do you remember it just a lot of fun Ah, a lot of fun. I think I think I think we've spoke a lot of the boys have spoke about it before, and I think I think I was lucky, or we were lucky that we were so young, and we were just there to play snooker. I think a lot of the boys maybe a wee bit older, twenty one, twenty two, and you're there for like a month, two months. It'd be pretty easy to get roped into different things, which a lot of the boys done now, obviously. Went enjoyed themselves maybe a little bit too much because it just felt like like a holiday camp. You were away with your mates, uh, so but I suppose when we were only seventeen, all we were doing was playing snooker, going to bed, playing snooker, going to bed, and that, that was our life at the time. So I think I was just very lucky that I was still only seventeen. And you racked up a lot of wins pretty quick. Yeah, I did. Obviously, Ronnie, Ronnie, his record-breaking wins. Was sort of blanking out everybody else, but but we were all just in our own little journeys, really. Uh, like say me and, and Matt Williams, Stephen Lee, Joe Perry, people like that. It was it was it was it was great. It was great times. It really was, and, and I look back fondly, really, so, so much because back then it was was a hobby, and he just loved it. He just loved be, being being around about all the, the different players, and and if you got through. Some of the later rounds, then some of the professionals were working into join you later on, guys that you'd seen on the TV a lot, and that that, that just gave you another buzz as well. So, uh, aye, great things, great things. Mm. I mean, the aforementioned Alan McManus, so I'm always fascinated by this. When he retired, one of it was a year or so ago, he, he was um, saying that obviously he's done it loads in the game, won the Masters, won loads of big tournaments, terrific career. But he said nothing really for him compared to that feeling of of, of of turning pro. Now, obviously, you've done a mountain, even more than Alan, you've won absolute loads, including four world titles and what have you. But 
can you still remember that feeling? And does that that feeling still rank among all, some of the others, perhaps, that when you when you managed to sort of turn pro? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, really. That first year that, that you're coming through, and then that first year that you, you managed, I managed to make it onto the TV twice in like two ranking events. I, I, I got on to the like the, the Grand Prix, the, the Hexagon. That was my very first tournament. I played Gary Wilkinson, who was number five in the world, I think, at the time, and I managed to beat him 5-4. Uh, first time on TV. Aye, probably. Like, as you say, it's just stuff your dreams, really. You don't think you're going to get there so soon. And then I think later on that year, I got to the, the British Open quarterfinals, I think it was, and Jimmy Wright beat me 5-3. I think it was five three, and I had, I had a chance. I had a chance uh, to to beat Jimmy in, in that match, and I, I, had, I just sort of never handled the pressure that much against him. Uh, but, but that that was that was the first time I'd really come up against Alex Higgins. Really, at that, that time uh, after after Jimmy beat me that time, uh, I came up and I think I've said before. Like I, I, I thought I quitted myself well, but obviously I, I was disappointed. But I'm thinking I've got the quarterfinals. Played Jimmy White, played on TV. God, you were still buzzing in a way. And then Alex Higgins came up to me and he just he sort of half slaughtered me a little bit, as if to say, there'll only ever be one Higgins in this sport. Now, that, that's what he said to me. And, and, and that's one thing that, that, that always stuck with me as well at that first time on TV. Uh, the first time I'd ever met him. And, and that was the sort of things that he came up and said to me now, which was. Uh, Pretty sad in a way now when you think about it. Now when you say it's a guy that that's done so much and to come up and say some, some pretty negative things to a young guy from a professional, which that's just stuck in my head, which wasn't nice. So it, it was said with edge, was it? It was said with a a, a, a tough tone. Aye, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I see them coming towards me in the, in the players' lounge after after me, and I thought he was going to maybe come up and just say. Unlucky son, you played well. You 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 ran Jimmy close because obviously him and, him and Jimmy are really close friends at the time. And he, he came up and he he died. He didn't have some nice things to say really. But I think as I said, that was maybe the time he's, he's beginning to fall down the fall down the thing with uh, the, the rankings a little bit. And he was maybe just a maybe a little bit cross with the, the, the world at that time. And obviously you forgive him. Uh, when you think about it, but it's it's say things when you when you're a young professional, uh, that's things that stick in your mind. I think they, they stick more in your mind when you're younger. Yeah, I think as, as you would get older, it's just when you get younger that's you, you would never you would never forget things like that. Uh, well, that's a shame. But uh, I'm wondering were there any older pros that were particularly welcoming that you can remember? that kind of would have had an encouraging word and maybe uh, took you under their wing a bit with that kind of thing happen? Uh, maybe maybe not under your wing. Just you're saying Jimmy, Jimmy Wright. Jimmy Wright, the first time I met Jimmy was at the, at the Rio Masters when I was about 16. And I was there to get a picture taken with him uh, with, with the Wisher Press, the, lo- the local paper. And he couldn't have been any nicer. He, he says, oh, young John, he says, yeah. I've watched you. I've, I've heard so much about you. Total nonsense. He's probably never watched me. But, yeah, I think he's, <laughs> he's he was he, he can just pull you in. He, he got a picture taken with me, and as I said, that that sticks with you. Uh, that 
that sticks with you and every time you, you see Jimmy you think to yourself now that's that, that man he, he took a bit of time out and he, he gave you words of encouragement really so uh, so uh, as I say as I say I've always tried to be like that but when you're, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe pretty shy uh, even the, the young boys coming on tour and I maybe wouldn't be the first one to go up and, and say a lot of things to them but I think if I ever seen them on my own or, or at any time I, I would always be welcoming and, and, and try and give them any word, words of encouragement or words of advice you know what I mean it's, it, it takes a pretty pretty special character to sort of go out of their way and walk up to, to young boys which I suppose it, you should be doing it because I suppose you're looked upon as one of the older, older players and people that would maybe you, people might look up to you sort of thing so uh, but no, I have a lot, a lot of good memories becoming professional. Uh, a lot, a lot of good memories. Mm-hmm. And you quite quickly started winning tournaments. Was the Australian Open your first tournament you won as a pro? It wasn't the first ranking, but is that the first one you remember winning? Yeah, that was the first, the first tournament we went to. Uh, me and Mark Williams, we we, we travelled all the way over. We, I think, me, me and him had just been signed up to to the Q Master Stable. And we, we travelled. I couldn't believe the distance. It was twenty five hours, and he, we, we played cards all the way. And it was only really until like the final hour that I realised he was cheating me all the way out there. Now he played cards. <laughs> <laughs> I was I said, look at my hand, and that was. He says, John, I've been doing it for twenty four hours. So it was, it was one of the things. Uh, we, the jet lag killed you as well. That that as I said, we, we were up all night. And, we were, and then we were sleeping all day. I couldn't believe that the, the jet lag can get to you like that. But I managed to win the tournament. But then me and Mark we could stay out there for an extra ten days doing exhibitions. I think that's what Ian Doyle had, must have done a deal with someone that that someone had actually paid for me and Mark a flights out there. Which listen, I don't know back in the day how much it would have cost for an economy flight out to Australia, maybe four or five hundred pounds, but. Then me and Mark were to do like 10 days exhibitions, afternoon and night, and a, and a club in Geelong out in the back of, back of nowhere. that was like, with, I don't know, the Sullivans, remember that programme that used to go on TV or Sons and Daughters or whatever it was? That makes Ronnie Wagan sound contemporary, Sons and Daughters. <laughs> Honestly, it was after, after a bit. Two or three days, I was on the phone to Ian Doyle saying, "You better, you better get us home. I cannot, I cannot handle any more of this." We were playing afternoon, night, afternoon, night, ten frames each every afternoon, then up ten frames at night. So I'm thinking to myself, "It, it, it, it was, I don't, it was just a crazy time. It was a crazy time. That's that's what I can remember of that tour. Not winning, not winning the, the Australian Open. It was me and Mark playing for like an extra week, just getting." Flogged to death out there now, just potting balls. It was unbelievable, but that's what I can remember. <laughs> now, I think we were going to ask you about your sort of relationship with Mark and Ronnie at some point as well, but this seems a nice time to ask about Mark specifically because I guess you must have got quite close when you're doing things like that over there. Yeah, no, yeah, you did, you did. As I said, uh, over the years, I, I think I, I think we, we had a good relationship, I suppose. Up to that point, we were spending a lot of time together, but then I think it sort of soured a little bit because then not long after that, I did leave uh, Ian Doyle's sort of camp and obviously Mark stayed and, and Mark then became, he became 
the, the top name in the camp along with Stephen because obviously he, he was beginning to win world titles and different things. And, and there was a bit of a split in the game at that time. We obviously, with the different managers at the time and the different factions involved. And, and I suppose you, you're obviously aiming for the same sort of titles. So you can't really, you can't really be as close as you, maybe you were when you were younger, when you, you were just playing the game for fun in a way. I think it really, really got to be pretty serious when you were going for all the same titles. And uh, but I think now, yeah, but now we we got on great. Now, obviously, I think a lot of waters passed under the bridge, and uh, now our families, you're close every time you see each other. And the, the wives got on well, and, and obviously we've all got kids now, and they're all roughly the same ages. And you realise that that uh, life is it's a short life, so you just go on with it and. Uh, Aye, gone, gone, gone. Great now, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's 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 lovely, and I'm sure we'll ask you a bit more about about yourself and Ronnie later. Your first ranking event was the Grand Prix in '94. I was having a look 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 at your little bit of of your run, and uh, you beat Willie Thorne, the late much much missed Willie M- Martin Clark, who went on to do other things in in snooker, of course, and James Watson. Are they the three I picked? Really, is just sort of. Um, well, characters from a bygone age, of course. James Watson did so much for spreading snooker in the sort of far east, of course. And he beat uh, Dave Harold in the final. And the assembly rooms in Derby, one of the snooker sort of um, old venues that people of a certain age often talk about. The referee was John Williams. So we are talking about a different a different kind of era, but it would have been so special for you, of course. And did you feel that it, it was right then? It was about time you made that breakthrough quite type thing? Yeah, it was funny, Nick, because obviously I think maybe a month earlier I'd lost to Ronnie out in the, the Dubai, the Dubai Duty Free Masters Tournament. And that's actually when my, my association with Ian Doyle now ended because I'd, I'd beat Steve Davis. First time I'd beat Steve in an earlier round out there. And I walked off the table the first thing, first thing Ian Doyle, he was over there. And the first thing he did say to me was, that's an un- that's an unbelievable result for Stephen. And I'm thinking to myself, what? No, I've just beat my hero. And he says, because obviously Stephen and Stephen were vying for number one and number two in the world at the time. And I think that just sort of crystallised everything in my mind as if to say, right, I, I need to sort of get out of this environment. So it was, it was a, I left after that tournament. And then I think the, the Grand Prix was like one of the, one of the first tournaments after that. So I'd sort of maybe like an inner determination in that tournament as if to say, right, I'm on my own now and I've got to I've got to just grow up, I suppose. Now not of MD there looking after me, like, although your your family's are behind you, but you've got to stand on your own two feet. And I think the turning point, I think I played Ronnie. I think Ronnie beat me five five nil, I think it was might have been out in Dubai. And then I think I'd done I'd done something similar to him. I think it must have been the quarterfinals. No, it was actually. That, that's actually stood on video. That game, you can see that game. You did beat Ronnie Fine then, and you were terrific in in that match. So yeah, you really showed some good form in that tournament. It, it's a big breakthrough, isn't it? I mean, that sounds obvious. When you you won events, of course, when you win the first bank ranking event, and of course, those days the Grand Prix would have been on television on the BBC. So it's a big deal. People would have seen it. D- did you feel that that was the one that kind of spread your fame? Did you notice quickly after that? Actually, more people are recognising me here. Did you feel you went up a level? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say maybe maybe in the snooker world, yeah, you, you went up a level there, and, and maybe people in the snooker world sort of sat up and took notice of you. 
uh, because obviously I think a year earlier Ronnie would have won the UK Championship uh, and he was obviously the, the, the rage at the time so it, it, it just gave someone else uh, now another up and coming young boy coming through a lot of people were, were then saying yeah this young guy can play as well uh, so no that was that was massive that was massive for, for my for for me and then I I think I think I then went on I think I then went on the rest of the season and I think I won a couple a couple more uh, late, later on in the season I lost a couple of finals but I won another couple of, of big tournaments uh, and then I think yeah that's been that's been I felt as if I'd arrived on, on the scene a little bit more I did actually watch what Nick was saying is on YouTube and there's a great interview with you afterwards I don't know if you remember doing it with David Vine alongside John Virgo and uh, it's amazing to see you talking there because you're obviously a bit shy and a bit nervous but also so confident you were just saying I knew that if I play my best I'll beat him having just beaten Ronnie 5-0 so it was lovely to watch I don't, don't know if you've got any memories of that No I, I can't I can't remember doing that of you know uh, but no I suppose back then you, you have got confidence in your own ability now that you obviously you respect not all, all the, the, the players and great players that there was but you, you, I, I suppose you, you had a sort of inner belief in, in, in what you were doing with your own game at that time and you were just thinking of your own your own self and uh, aye it turned into a great season for me definitely yeah yeah because then the tyres start racking up and I think it was the next year it beat, beat Steve Davis in the International Open final and being your hero that must have been a magic moment there yeah absolutely Phil because I think I think maybe like a month or two previous to that he beat me in the Welsh Open final I think mm. he, he, beat me, he beat me 9-3 I don't know if that was Steve's last Manker event title. I don't. I could be wrong. I, I know. I know he then went on to to obviously win win the Masters. Uh, but I, I think that might have been his last last title uh, ranking. Uh, and then for me to then sort of equalise maybe later, like a month or two later, that, that that was that was a great great feeling. Obviously, uh, as I said, beat, beating your hero in, in a final. As I said, I stuff the dreams. I suppose. Do you remember him saying anything to you after that? I imagine he's only class, surely. Yeah, I can't really remember, which is a shame. I can't. I, I think he was just always just like the the, the tall, the tall sportsman who mm. came up and very well done and different things. Uh, I, I, I don't think even after that, I don't know if he stayed about and maybe I, I can't really remember. I was probably <coughs> excuse me too busy partying with my family and friends. I, I don't really know, but if I think he's obviously been to so many finals and things. I'd imagine he'd, he'd probably just get changed and go home. Mm-hmm. I was just in the, the the start of the party mode, I suppose. <laughs> well, we just had we just had a weekend, of course, to bring it right up to date. Where Steve Davis has been DJing at Wembley before Blur. I mean, it's incredible, uh, and, and that was the first time you know he'd been to, he'd actually been to Wembley, not not just seen anything. He'd been there since he played for Jimmy Tarbuck's Sky Blues team before the 1987 FA Cup final. Now, I even watched a little bit of that in recent days. The things you do for research, Phil Hay. And yeah. Lloyd Hunnigan, Lloyd Hunnigan, sorry, a bit of a tangent here. Lloyd Hunnigan, who was a brilliant boxer at the time, was in goals, in nets first half, and then, and then, gave, and get, and then they had a substitute half-time and Steve came on, having been on the wing, he's then in goal for second half. But, just to say about Steve Davis, I mean, 
Can you believe his new life, John? I mean, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have given you wouldn't have given it much credence back then, would you? <laughs> no, it's incredible, isn't it? Which he's, <laughs> how his how his career is, is just changed. It really is when you think of a guy like. I don't think anybody's ever really got close to him. I mean, I don't know now. Obviously, maybe a lot of the boys that they do commentate with him on BBC and different things that they might have had a closer relationship with him. But apparently, back in the day, he was, he was pretty aloof. He didn't really get on with anybody. Uh, but then, for him to be now out on Glastonbury, Wembley, playing playing his brand of music, I, I wouldn't call it music. Don't be wrong, I wouldn't call that music. Play, playing a brandy noise, I would suppose that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, every every therapy, it's incredible where where uh, where he's where he's ended up, and obviously the, the doors that are opening to him now, and who he's who he's obviously mixing with. Because bear in mind, these guys would probably be looking at Steve as a massive star. People back in the day, because he was probably one of the biggest stars in in Britain at the time. So, so uh, for him to be doing this, I'm sure some of these guys are taking double takes when they see when they see when they see Steve up on the decks. Phil saw him to be not so long ago. No, it's quite something. Um, yeah. I hope you don't mind me. It just comes to my mind a little bit going back with with, with Alex Higgins. Did did you ever speak to him a lot more as he got older and you got older? Was there was there any nicer exchanges, or did it always remain quite frosty between you? I never, 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 never. I never. This is a shame. Uh, every time been in his company, every it wasn't it wasn't great. It wasn't great, uh, and it's a shame. It's a shame when you think of Alex Higgins and, and what he's what he's done for the game and, and different things. Uh, but no, I, I really can't. I really can't actually think any time where I could think that that was a, a nice conversation or a nice uh, aye, which is which is which is a shame. Which is, uh, but obviously, what what he done for the game was incredible, wasn't it? It really was. It was incredible how how big he was and how popular he was for the game. Uh, but as you say, it's a shame, isn't it? But it's only a shame in my eyes, really. And we obviously brought great joy to other people and different things. But now, just for just for my own, own self, no, it was, it was never great. No, that is a shame. That is a shame. But one of those things unknown. So, you know, certainly interesting to hear it. Obviously, both incredible <laughs> characters from sort of different snooker times. Well, we should say you are sitting here to talking snooker uh, with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf, and we have a brilliant guest with us, John Higgins, and John. We're now going to move on to a very special year for you. A quarter of a century ago, 1998, your first world title, you became world number one as well. I mean, I had a look through your run there. You beat Jason Ferguson in round one. What happened to that guy? Nobody seems to know. <laughs> um, friend of the podcast, Anthony Hamilton, John Parrott, and that was a tight old quarter final. goodness me. And then you beat, you gave Ronnie a proper beating, uh, 17-9 in the final, uh, the semi-final, sorry. And then you beat Ken Doherty, um, uh, your friend uh, eighteen twelve in the final. It, it's difficult to sort of because you've already suggested about some things you just don't remember. You've done so much in the game and what have you. What 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 bits stay in your mind from that win twenty five years ago? Uh, I can't really remember playing Jason. Jason the first round. Obviously, it must have been a really close game ten eight, but that doesn't really stick out. 
definitely sticks out playing Anthony in the second round. Uh, I was I was six two behind against Anthony, and uh, something I, I very rarely do. I think I played him in the afternoon. Losing six two, Anthony played some great stuff, and I went I went home and get get showered a bite, and then I come back over, and I must have played for two hours. Later on that night, I would normally just go home, have a bite to eat, uh, have an early night, and then obviously then get up the next day and maybe come over and try and get a practice. But that night, I thought, no, I need to try and do something. So I went back over a couple of hours. Then the following day, I came out, and I can remember playing really good stuff to bring it back to all against them. And then on the final the final session against them, I, I don't know. I think, I think I broke the record, I think, at that point for unanswered points. I believe, I, I might be wrong, but I, that sticks in my mind, but I've done that against Anthony and I think I beat him 13-9, something I think it was, which which is which is really good when you think about being 6-2 behind against Anthony at that time was such a tough player to play against. It, it really was. Uh, against John, always tough games against John, always uh, just nip and tuck probably all the way. And I just managed to keep keep my nose in front, and then obviously against Ronnie in the semi, can't I can't really remember too much about that game either. Uh, the only thing I, I do know is I think I, I think I think I won eight frames in a row. I think I maybe won well, won eight, all eight frames in well, one of the sessions. I think it was like the middle session to to stretch my lead, and then the, the final was against ten. Uh, Biggest match of your life, playing the final against Ken, defending champion, and uh, I just I just felt as if I was really confident. I don't know why, but I just felt really confident. I think maybe obviously having such a tough, tough like route through, and then I suppose beating someone like Ronnie in the semi, quite convincingly, it might have gave me a little sort of bit of an inner belief. And then six two, I think I finished first session. 10-6 overnight, but then I, I can really remember the third session. It got it got really really near there. <laughs> Sorry, there bracketed for myself. I think I finished at 13-11, which it could have been so easily 12 all against Ken. Get into the final session, and then obviously I coming out 13-11. I think that final session is probably the, the most relaxed I think I've ever been on a snooker table. If I can, if I can think back it really was it was, I just felt I just felt really, really calm I suppose at the point where it was the nerves were, were at its highest and I, I ran out quite a convincing winner in the end What can you put that down to because that's that seems so counterintuitive you'd think that would be you'd be shaking like a leaf but the opposite happened I know I, I I don't know can't put my finger on on what it was or, or why I done it it just must have been my time at that time to take him through and play play some play some great stuff aye it must have just been been my time and can you remember I mean it must have been a whirlwind of emotions but can you remember what the overriding thing was when you won was it was it relief almost or you're still so young it probably wasn't that but. I don't know what did you immediately think oh, I want would do this again and more and more. What was it at the time? No, it just it, I can just remember. So, I can just remember so clearly, like clearing up the colours, and I could remember where 
I was potting the colours and I could see my mum begin to make her way down the stairs. Uh, and and I could see I could see she was upset. I could see she was crying. Obviously, happy tears. And then that's when I, I, I deep within myself, I was beginning to, I was beginning to like sort of well up inside as well. And because obviously you begin to think this is this is just the culmination of just all your dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what the final black? You'd kind of cuddle. And then just rushed straight over. I knew my mum. She nearly fell over where, where the trophy would be. Gave her a cuddle. Then I think what well, once again my mum a couple I just turned around and just got a big bear hug off my dad. I think he can he can running into the he can running into the auditorium. Uh gave him a hug and then went over and then my my, my girlfriend at the time who obviously became my wife now gave her gave her a hug. She was she was uh, one side of it where I was and then uh, and then it was just all a blur from then. <laughs> uh, it was just it was just all a blur now when when uh David Vine, it would, would have been David Vine that would have come out. Yeah, it would, would have been David Vine, obviously. Yeah, he was still doing it at the time. Uh, aye, it was just incredible, incredible. Is that will that always be the biggest one? Can you ever top the first one? Do you think? I don't think so. Nah, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think just that first time, as I say, just. All your, all your dreams just come true on that one time. Uh, a special, special moment of your, of your life, really. Uh, I don't think nothing could ever, could ever top that. No. And I, I wondered if you went into that tournament feeling, because you just won the British Open just before being Hendry in the final. So you must yeah. have been going there thinking, this might be my time. You know, you're always thinking it might be. But I've never ever been one. I've never ever took anything for granted or anything. I've always been a player more in hope than than expectation, I suppose. Uh, and then, but I think we, I think I think think the way it worked out, Henry Henry lost in the first round to Jimmy Wright, and then I think the the talk was that if I'd have, if I'd have won the event, which was still obviously a long shot, but if I'd have won the event, I would have took, taken over as number one as well. Uh, but that, that that was incidental to, to me. It was to be the world champion. That that, that was it. That was the be all and end all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a famous victory for you. Twenty five years old. My goodness me. And. Uh... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A special moment for you. I wanted at some stage, but it's okay, John. I know you're a big family man, and you mentioned your parents there. I know your dad in particular was absolutely massive for you, wasn't he? Um, yeah. You told us some about him already. Would you tell us some more about him? What sort of character was he, and just how influential was he for you? Oh, he was massive for me. He was a he was a massive, obviously, part of your life growing up. He's your dad, but then on the snooker side of it, that he he it was having my mum that that got me to actually sign with like Ian Doyle at, at the time, and I I wasn't wanting to sign with him. I was I was still quite happy in the environment in Glasgow, 
playing with Alan and, and been looked after by the big Tommy Heenan who owned the club and things like that. But my dad could see that he says, you've, you've got to take this chance to, to obviously be managed by Ian and, and then it give you the opportunity to then go up and, and uh, play with Stephen. We have a chance to, to play with the, obviously the best player in the world. And it did, it, co- it caused a lot of eruptions in the house. It really did. And as I said, I, I was quite a strong character. I wasn't wanting to go over. My dad said, son, this, this, could, this could be the, the, the best thing for you. Uh, so I went. And obviously then, I think, being introduced to a sort of the professionalism, we, we've seen how Stephen Henry went about his life. And, and obviously, Ian Doyle, he, he sort of became the, the, the sort of the manager side of me. But I don't think he could handle he, he really couldn't handle my dad because my, although my dad would sort of let me go into that sort of environment, my, my dad was still my dad. My dad was still looking out for my best interest and when he was seeing maybe some things that weren't been done right, he would voice his opinion and I don't think the likes of maybe Ian Doyle like, could, could handle that. I think he maybe liked someone where he could, you could groom him that, that's the wrong word. Sorry, not grooming them, but you could, you could have someone where, where he could, he could tell them where to be, what to do, do this, do that, do the next thing. And my, and my dad, but he was like, no, you're, you're, you're your own man. So, I, as I said, I must have been with Ian for about eighteen months, two years. If I was lucky, and then when I left, my, my dad basically from then on until we passed away, he was basically like my manager. He, he looked after me, and he came to all tournaments with me, and he, he was. He was like my shield to everybody else in a way. Uh, and he was yeah, a big part. Of, I think he was a big part of the snooker circle as well at that time because there was, there was a, lot of, a lot of strong characters a lot of strong dads that, that were about. You know, you, you'd, you'd Morel Stevens, you'd, you'd Colin Lee, you'd Tony Shirley, who was the best mates with John Parrott, you'd, you'd Alan Hunter, who was Paul's dad. You, you'd, you'd such a big mix. You'd such a big... Although we were all the players, so there was a big, there was a big team of dads and, and people that were that were a big part of the whole scene back then, and it was a uh, special time, ah, uh, special times. And as I said, until he passed away, you know, he was, he was all, he was always there. And, and later on in life, he, he, he obviously didn't really come to as many tournaments as with me because he probably thought I was, I was old enough and ugly enough to look after myself in a way. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was obviously the he, he's he's the reason why obviously I'm still sitting here now today and, and playing. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of answered the impression I always had of him in his in my head, which is like a, a strong character, determined. I guess you get a lot of your term, determination from him, or would you you learn that from him a bit as you as you sort of worked together and went around together? Yeah, I suppose it might be of his determination. I wouldn't have his uh, abruptness or, or gruffness. Uh, I, I knew he was he was always getting into late night arguments. I wouldn't say arguments, but late night discussions with different people, uh, powers that be at World Snooker and different things. And he would he would always be saying different things. Uh, but uh, yeah, so someone that I, obviously I was incredibly proud of. You know what I mean? Uh, still to this day, obviously. Aye, aye. Well, it's, it's great to hear some more about him. Thank you for that. In 98, you were literally on top of the world. It, is, is it kind of a surprise to now, as you look back throughout your career, that you went nine years before the next world title? 
because you won plenty. You won UKs, you won Grand Prix. It, is it, I think you might tell me it's just down to how hard that tournament is to win. But it, it's kind of surprise, surprise, isn't it, when you then see what came next, which is bang, 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 you win in three. Can you pinpoint why that might have been? Uh, yeah, I mean, it probably, I probably wasn't, people maybe laugh, I maybe wasn't as dedicated as I should have been, really. And I think I got to a point where you're, you're, you're maybe earning a, a decent amount of money and different things, and you're maybe just enjoying yourself too much off the table than on Really, and that, that that would be the, the the blunt reason, but not for not doing it and not not following up with any more wins until until maybe nine years later. Really, yeah, that, that, that's what I would say. I maybe a lack of professionalism, maybe at, at certain years, and but that's why when you're growing up, it's really everything is experience. Everything you you, you you see it a lot maybe with young footballers and different things just now where. And I think it must be so incredibly difficult when you see young guys that have that much money thrust upon them at an early age and then for them to still have the will and the desire and the drive to, to get there. That's what maybe sets different people apart. And maybe that just, I maybe just wasn't built for that. I just maybe wasn't built for that continual success. As I said, I had I had periods where I maybe won some tournaments, but then there was sort of definitely gaps in my career where I, where I would certainly go missing and I, I would say that was probably down to, down to what I was maybe doing off the table compared to now on the table Now I mean you mentioned earlier when sort of growing up and uh, you know it was expensive even to sort of send you off to practice and stuff so when you earned a lot of money was that such a was that quite a massive lifestyle change for you? Yeah it was and I don't, I don't think it, Anybody from from now my walk of life or where I was brought up now that could can obviously can get you ready for something like that. Now, although you could still try and keep your feet in the ground sometimes or whatever, but you, you would just then just automatically think, well, this is going to last forever, and then you, you you would then take your foot off the pedal. You you would go out your mates more than you maybe should. You would you would say take one day off before you would know it would be two or three days before you get back on the practice table and then it sort of became like a vicious a vicious circle in a way. So uh, you would love to have those years back. I would love to have them back, but in a way that which which made you the, the person you are or or where you are just now, where you're the second half of your career, you you're maybe giving it everything you've got compared to maybe in the start of your, your career in a way yeah I suppose you were having a nice time though you're enjoying yourself you might not swap some of those times I would have honestly I would, <laughs> I would have swapped there has been so there's been so been so many times really I, I, I can think of certain times where you're where I'm young and I'm, I'm, I'm I've ended up being invited to like when Martin and Eels Celtic we won we won like the treble at the time and I ended up back at the party with, with the team and different things and I can't really remember now that been, been in the been in the party although I had a great time but you think to yourself oh, I'd love to have when you think now I, I don't touch alcohol anymore now I've not had a drink for five or six years and you just think, think to yourself back then you think like God you, you, you don't need it you don't need it to actually enjoy yourself I think when you're younger you think you do and you think you're shy and when you maybe have a drink, it can maybe help you 
come out your shell a little bit now but when, when you think when you get a little bit older and you, you don't need it and you maybe missed out and some of the parties but as you said you, you, I suppose you have enjoyed yourself as well so. <laughs> but, uh, but no it's it's uh, but listen that's but you can't get back in life you know what I mean you can't get back in it was, it, was that a hard move giving it up completely or did you sort of take it on that easily enough not at all Phil no not at all uh, I, I think it was I think it was it was over in Belfast when, when I'd, I'd been out and joined a couple of pints with my mates I'd been seen for a couple of years and then before you know it, you're in the back of a taxi and you, you you fell asleep just as you're getting dropped off. And before you know it, you've woke up as the guy's taking a picture of you. And then he's saying you've not paid the fare. And basically, he's only took a picture because you've just woke up. I've only woke up because there's a flash of the picture. So it's, it's things like that that I then say is not a lot. It's, it's, it's no use. No, I mean, it's absolutely no use whatsoever. So I packed in the head that day and it's never, I've never, never touched it again. And I, I don't think. You can never say never, but I don't think I would ever, I would ever touch it again from then on. If that story made it into the press, didn't it? The one you're talking about there, um, it, it became quite an unsavoury sort of story, really. So from that moment, you've never touched alcohol. Yeah, to that moment, yeah, just uh, and I've not, I've not had to go to any any classes. I, 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 I don't think I've never had it that bad. Where you had to, to go to meetings and different things, I, I, no, I, I just I just say, you know what, it's no it's no for me. And uh, as I said, I've never I've, I've never touched it since. And uh, touch with them, I, I don't think I, I, I will again. But as I say, you never say never. You don't know what's going on in your life and different things. But uh, no, it's 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 a party part of my life now. It's not it's not a part of my life at all now. Mm-hmm. So which is which is good, I suppose. And it's interesting, we don't want to labour on this, but the, that period, obviously, what you're talking about, what, did you say six years? It was, just, it was pre-COVID, yeah, it was only about 18, 2018, oh, so yeah. five, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that, that period has obviously included success for you and tournament victories, times when the past you'd have had a big party, and I guess you still had party, but without alcohol. So it's interesting that you've had the very, very, the highest that, life can give you in a way a sports person winning something and and that you've always associated with alcohol and yet that's come away i find that fascinating yeah and i know and listen i don't think there'd be many people on the tour that's probably celebrated the uh, tournaments like, like myself uh so i mean hey uh, that's that's maybe a, a reason now that i always say you should always enjoy the success and and uh, and that's who I can never in a way I could when I used to see Stephen Henry like we, we'd win an event and then he would be back up practicing like the following day it was either he had no mates or it was he was just ultra professional so <laughs> it was like ultra professional right I'll say that so that's that's probably that's the reason uh, so I every credit to guys like guys like Davis and, and Henry when you think uh, just the, the continuation of rolling out events after events after events, it, you know, it's, it's incredible. So it is. Well, I wanted to ask you, we wanted to ask you about Henry at some stage and your relationship with him. You've known him an awful long time. You've known him as long as I think pretty much you've known Alan McManus to your very young days. Um, you said to me in an interview earlier uh, early this year, actually, we did just before the Masters, that you're not sure you've ever had that high-level intensity you've ever 
not there have been periods, but sometimes you maybe feel like you never quite cared enough to, to that level. I mean, did you look at him and think of him, oh, I'm going to really ins- get inspired by what he's doing ever? Or did you just think, no, he, he's a different animal to me. I can't, I can't be like that somehow. Yeah, probably a different animal. I, I, I can only, I can only really say uh, the, the the most the most focused I ever was. Obviously, I felt in my, in my whole career is when I come back after my ban, and I, I I put everything into the six or seven months before the world championships, and then I, my, my my dad was really poor at the time, and that's that is when I probably put. Like my heart and soul and and everything into those seven months, which which God it it took a hell of a lot out of me really. Uh, so I can only really then probably put that and and maybe what they were like. I don't know. Maybe like Davis and Henry, they might have just had that ultimate desire that they concentrated and they were that focused. And you think they they done it for like ten years, nine years, ten year periods, whereas. They nearly killed me after like a seven month period, eight month period. So I'm thinking it must have put a hell of a lot out of the guys like, like doing that, or maybe that's just that. Who knows? Who knows what, what it really took out of the guys for doing things like that? It might not have took a lot out of them because they were maybe such good players, and uh, it might have not took too much out of them. But I can only say from my point of view, ah, it took a hell of a lot out of me, really. So uh, yeah. Now, you mentioned the band there and obviously events leading up to that. I mean, w- was that the hardest time of your life, sort of professionally and personally? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, just obviously, just what, what obviously you were going through and you, you didn't know if you were ever going to be picking a queue up again or who knows, you, 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 your career was in the hands of like now independent committees and they were obviously going to be looking at everything and and you just had to put put your your trust in them that they were going to come to the the, the correct decision or the right decision, and then and obviously then to try and get your career back on track again. Uh, but yeah, without a doubt, that was that was that that's yeah, it's still it's still I still don't think I've ever really got over it. Now, when I think obviously my my private life at the time as well was obviously my dad he wasn't he wasn't well at all, and, and so nah, it was nah, tough times. They're really tough things. And I suppose, I mean, you were obviously famous in the sporting world, snooker world, but going to the front pages must be a whole different level of almost invasion from the media and stuff. It must have been very difficult for you and your family. Yeah, because I've, I've never I've never courted that side as a person in my life. I've never I've never been interested in in being on front pages or. I don't know if I'd ever be famous enough to be on front pages anyway, but I mean, it always seems to be maybe, as you say, like for, for the wrong reasons, when people are on front pages, it's, it's never good news in a way. It's always, it's always bad news. It seems to make the front pages a, a perceived bad news. So, uh, yeah, yeah, tough, tough. But I suppose it's what makes you, it's what, it makes you the person maybe you still are today, I suppose, in a way. And if you say you say you've not really got over it, what what's the sort of lingering feeling that you've got from that time? I think just just obviously with what it done to my family at the time, in a way, and maybe as I said, my dad really now I lost my dad later on, and you just always you just don't think. I know it's maybe just didn't. Obviously, it was a terrible 
terrible illness that my dad had at, at that time, really. But but there, there's some things that obviously you sometimes think if if that never happened or whatever, you, you don't know if he could have lasted. Now, just just like that, you know what I mean? Like they could have lasted longer or or whatever. You know what I mean? That's that's a, that's a tough a tough part on that side of it, but. Uh, but that's just that's just life, isn't it? Now you just got to go on it. Yeah. Are are you angry too, John, with with how events turned out? For example, with your former manager at the time. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. No, I, I don't. I don't look back. I, I think I've got over things. Uh, nah, I just things happen. Just things happen in life, really, and just no, it's just one of these things. Just one of these, I don't think. I, I suppose that we, I, I, I did have a lot of anger. You know, I, I've got to be honest. As I said, maybe in the, the next seven or eight months, there was a lot of anger involved. But then, as I said, I knew I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep that with me because it just was, it just wasn't me as a person. It wasn't. Uh, how, how I could probably go forward because if I kept hanging if I kept as if like trying to shut everybody away and just trying to be your own person and I know maybe people could have said a few things and that's just obviously what they were thinking at the times so if you'd have kept that sort of anger within you it would have ended up breaking you it would have ended up now just busting you from inside so I believe you've just got to sort of let, let that go and then just just end up just trying to be the same person you are again and then take it exactly. there. Yeah. You're, you're the one that ends up swallowing the poison, don't you? Sometimes when you in, in those situations, we, we should explain a little bit for those who don't remember. We are talking about you being set up actually by by a, a Sunday newspaper, the one that since got out of business uh, for what is a, a totally fake meeting, actually, um, uh, in which journalists were masquerading as as business people. And uh, they were discussing uh, potential forthcoming tournaments, the potential of, of, of frames possibly, possibly being fixed. It should be said you were suspended from the sport, John, but then you were cleared of all match allegations made against you by that newspaper following a independent hearing conducted by Sport Resolutions. Uh, you did admit bringing the game into disrepute by not reporting the illegal approach made to you. And by quotes, unquotes, intentionally giving the impression to others that you were agreeing to act in breach of the betting rules. Now, I don't know if you want to go into any specifics, but your very much explanation was that you just hated being there. You didn't know you were going to be there until very, very shortly before, a few minutes before, and you just wanted to get out of there. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I, I really, I really wouldn't want to get into it, Nick, because now. <laughs> Papman he's, he's, he's since he's passed away, so he has. Uh, so he's, he's no longer with us. Uh, so uh, I really wouldn't really want to to yeah. sort of start delving back into it. Now, obviously, it was a, a long time ago. Uh, yeah, maybe one day it might come out. Uh, but now, right now, as I'm still a player on different things, I don't think it'd be wise now to be speaking more about it. I hope you understand that. Of course, totally understand that. And it, it, it should be said you came back and, my goodness me, you, you vowed to be a champion again and you were very quickly, weren't you? Um, UK champion, world champion, as anything in a way, very emotional time I know with your, your dad becoming ill, sadly dying in, in early 2011. But on the table, you just produced the goods, didn't you? And you no know, 
it must leave you with an immense feeling of pride. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it'd be pride. It was just. It, it must have just been been meant to to be. Really, now that the, you were coming back and and maybe some good things were going to happen for you, that that's that's only the only thing I, I can maybe put, put my mind on it. Now, uh, I, I really I really can't really remember much of of, the, of those like seven or eight months. They really were. They really were. A blur. They, they start. They still are in there now. When I think, I think I was maybe on like a little bit of an autopilot. Uh, so now I can't really tell you too much about any of the tournaments. I really can't. Now, obviously, that I competed in it just it just seemed to be, as I say, a little bit of an autopilot. Yeah. I was actually watching. I watched the end of the the UK final against Mark, the deciding frame there, and I mean, amazing match. And that sort of had two things that you're sort of famous for, doubling and dishing up, which you are always referred to as they're the best at both those things. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's any secret to doubling you can reveal here, but the dishing up specifically, that is such a good thing to be known for. People get 50, 60 ahead of you and you can see them sweating because they know that you're coming to the table and they're in trouble. But what is it that makes you so good at that? I don't know. I think that's maybe just. I, I, listen, all the great players are amazing at clearing up fifty or sixty behind. That that's why they're the great champions. They are now. They, there's not one top player in the game that you could name just now that that isn't a great clearer upper. So it, it just happens to be maybe I've done it at opportune times that that were maybe more famous in different finals and different important matches over the last 10 years or 15 years that, that, that my name sort of crops up but I would never I would never class myself as I'd maybe say I'm the best doubler but I always keep on saying that's probably because I'm not a great positional player that I'm always <laughs> so uh, but as a great clearer up no I mean God all, all the top players are unbelievable clearer uppers that's why they're that's why they're the best players well, that, that double on the brown in that match I'm talking about <laughs> There's the, the, the rarely seen full table double. You don't see too many of them. I know that that was that was a pretty special. That was a pretty special. But then, as you said, Mark Mark was so unlucky. They were clearing up that they he played a great shot with the rest. I think it was with, with the green to try and to try and like uh, cannon the brown away from. I think it was the black or the or the pink, and he, he was just so unlucky. Uh, but as he he would have cleared up, he's one of the best clears. Clear our offers, so just sometimes things are meant to be for you. And then, yeah, we're at the 2011 World Championship by then. I mean, all sorts gone on there, but that final that must be one of the most memorable games of your career, I guess, against Judd. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had some great, great matches with Judd throughout my whole career. I think, uh, well, we've had so many great battles that I've seen him grow, growing into, obviously, to the, to the player he is today. and I've, I've I've really enjoyed every single match I think I've played against them. It's, it's it really is. It's, it's it's amazing when you come up against young guys like that that they can just sort of dominate the table and, and you actually enjoy watching when you're when you're on the other chair as well. And that can sort of help your game. That can bring the try and bring the best out in you as well. So uh, no, as I say, great final, great final with Judd. I can, I can always remember what one part of that was when I was I was ten seven behind. Because 
I think that was the first time I'd maybe been in a final where where it was like a, an odd number when you, when you finished, like but after the first day. I think all, all the other finals that I'd been involved in me with Selby and Doherty and Sean Murphy, you were like uh, 12-4 in front or 10-6 in front, whereas this one was like a, an odd number finish, so I was 10-7 behind. And then I went back to the, the hotel with the family and different things, and we were ordering some food. And I could tell my family that they were so so deflated, and I think they felt as if I'm not going to be able to hold on to this young guy. And I think I had to tell him. I said, "Well, I'm only ten seven behind. Now I'm, I'm still, I'm still really, <laughs> still really involved in this match." And, and they were like, "No, oh, we know yeah, we know we, we know yeah." But I just get that sort of feeling that they thought, "Nah, we, we, we think nah, he's, he's judge got to be too strong for him." Uh, and I think I was the one that was sort of trying to cheer them up, and then lost <laughs> back on the second day, and I, I played pretty well and put you under a bit of pressure. So. Uh, Ah, it's funny. It's funny how tournaments go, isn't it? It really is. What well, was that? Still, the best atmosphere? Because when you and John came out of that final session, my God, it, I mean, it was just electric in that in the Crucible Theatre. You you were just beaming. I think I don't think you could ever see anything quite like it. Or was it the Mark Williams at the Masters one, the recent one? That they might be the top two. Could you pick one, or would you say no? In different ways, they were the sort of level two. Uh, I'd just have to say, I'd, no, I'd still say me and Judd. I really would. I mean, that that was a special moment with me, with me and Matt Williams. And a lot of thanks has got to go to, obviously, Rob Rob Walker, who, who obviously whips the crowd into a frenzy. And for him, he, for him, uh, whatever words he obviously must have been saying to that crowd before me and Mark actually, when, before we entered the the arena to start the match and then obviously when the two of us must have went to the toilet break and then when we come back out at five each yeah that, that was a moment of love with me but I think it was just I think it was just that that, that final session I don't know were, were, were you were the two of you there at all or were you just watching on TV or did you watch it on TV TV for me TV for me mm. on both those nights actually right well I think you just had to be there to believe it and I've asked Judd, I think, since then, because obviously he's played and he's played and obviously in a couple of finals, he's played me in one of them. That that was nowhere near close, but I think that was down to the fact that he was nearly over the line against me pretty convincingly. But against Ronnie, I think he no, he said it never it never sort of came close. Uh and and for me as well. Now for me as well, obviously I was in three other finals. Uh, and, and, and it, it was never close to, to that that night with Judd and I put it down to Judd because as I said at that time he was in a test away and I think this young guy would he have became the, the youngest world would he have overtaken Henry I don't know I, I don't know if he would have at the time but I think he just had the whole, the whole country in his side at that time yeah I'm not sure we've done that but he, he, he was he, he just was Electric, actually, and he was just a, a joy. He brought so much, you know, character to that tournament with his effort lessons, didn't he? And you had to show so much of your experience to see him off. But you won those titles, 09 and uh, sorry, 07, 09, 11. And I wonder whether it's because you said before that maybe you didn't have quite the application. You went in that nine year. When you were sort of making hay while the sun shone then, was there that extra, I've got to make them count, I've got to put more world titles on the board here? Was that the feeling or was it not 
maybe that's not you. It's just season by season, try and win stuff. Or were you kind of, this is when I've got a strike at my age when I'm really, really playing well and I'm, I'm racking the big ones up. No, I, I think I think that was. I think that was a, 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 obviously a massive time in your, your personal life as well. You're a father. Excuse me, you're a father of three at, the, at that point. So uh, that's what I mean. It was like my, all my kids then, I think they were like seven, four, two. I think now, so you, 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 you get more responsibilities then. You're, you're, you're obviously, you're, they're your life. You're, you're not thinking anything else. You're just thinking always of providing for them. Uh, and that's probably what coincided. Now we're having, like a, having a good run at that point. Now you, you were totally dedicated. Uh, and still am to, to, to this day I suppose now try to provide as good a life for them as possible and you caught you, you kept on winning didn't you that's the thing you know, it kept on going and then even to this we said it I said it at the start even to this sort of more modern era your success has kept coming but of course you did reach three world finals in a row which Phil Hayes actually made the point before this podcast, I think, very well that sometimes we forget runners up of the World Championship a bit easily. It's almost like it means half nothing. And it doesn't, it means a lot actually to get to the final. But obviously, you've got the bad luck, you lo- you're losing them all. Is there one of the three? I mean, I know probably maybe not the Judd one, maybe it's one of the other two because Judd beat you quite, quite comfortably. Is there one that still sticks in your mind as kind of a regret and thinking, ah, I felt like I maybe could have got that one? Yeah, I think it would have been the Selby one. Yeah, without a doubt. I think it was I think it was nine three or ten four in front. And as I said, with with it finishing like an odd number, if it had finished maybe ten six, same front, you, you might have been a Selby, it might have been different, but I lost the final three from the ten four in front to then ten seven. And that sort of then flips a little bit back when you think you're only 10-7 behind against Trump. I really felt I was still in touching distance within it. Probably Selby felt the exact same way with me when I was 10-7 in front. People might think it's a big lead, but it's not really. If you, if you win the next session 3-1, basically, you're nearly, you're, you're nearly bare feet again with other guys. So it's, uh, aye, that, that would be the one. That would be the one. But but then the, there was also the, the one when I was when I was playing Williams that... Uh, I finished, I finished in the afternoon, but the, the apartment that I was renting was uh, they got their, they got their, their dates mixed up. So the guy actually told me I had to move out, basically on the on the on, on the morning the, the final the final session of my of my semi my semi final, uh, and I I think. I think I was play- I can't actually remember who. That's terrible me, me saying this now, but I can't. It might it have been Kyron Wilson. I might have been playing, or it was. I don't know. I don't know who it was that I was playing the semi final, but I bagged it through. And I, I was trying to scramble about, try to get, try to get a hotel, running uh, about Sheffield. And my, my family, my family, they they went down. They they were just going to come down if I got to the final. And the, the only hotel I could get in was the Leopold Hotel, which you know yourself, just just up around the corner. For. But when when I went into it with my case and my suitcase, I was I was only in it for the one night, and then I was checking into the the Mercure with the family because they had vacancies for. I never got one case sleep. 
that night there was a wedding on right, right under, right, right underneath my room, and obviously, listen, it was whereas Williams is out in kebabs at three in the morning, I'm listening to Dancing Queen at two or three in the morning, so it was, it was what it. It was a surreal. It was a surreal time because I think even even the apartment that I was going through out of the guy had booked it out for people that were coming to actually watch the final, the world championship. <laughs> so it, it was madness, and, and I even said to the guy, I says, "Look, I'll I'll pay for the for the family to try and get into a, a different hotel. I'll, I'll pay f- I'll pay for nights out. I'll pay for dinners. Just let me let me stay in, in my own because I was quite settled in, in the apartment. Mm. I was doing my own thing. I was doing my own routine." Which which snooker players will tell you you can be quite superstitious. You you like to go up at the same time. You like to maybe have the same breakfast. You like to take up with the same practice time. I just sorry, just that just threw everything uh, to the side with me. But that's probably uh, another way as well. Which Yahoo yeah, that whenever I got to the other finals as well, I was more I was more interested in make my family make name everything. They were okay in the hotels. Make sure they they were all set before I would go go and play my match because I also understand that they, they, they're the reason they, they they've been a big party for me to get to those finals. So yeah, I, I could never ever be that selfish person as if to say just send them texts and just say just do your own thing, uh, and I'll see you on Monday night after the after the final. I was always just making sure now they were settled and. While I'm up making making sure the rooms and everything, you were maybe neglecting the the mental side that you should have been doing, getting yourself ready for the biggest game of the year. But that's I would never have them back again because at the end of the day, you now they're the, the biggest match of the year. You, you want your family to be there, and uh, that's it. Yeah, there's a crazy amount of stuff that people watching the sport don't like consider is going on in players' lives. Whenever I speak to the People in York during the UK, they're always they've just won a match and they're sort of running around York trying to find a hotel for three hundred quid a night or something. And people think they're just concentrating on playing snooker, but you've got so much other stuff to sort out, haven't you? I know, I know, and no, that's I know. It's just it's crazy some of these times, isn't it? But no, listen, come back to that Williams, come back to that Williams final. Williams throughout that that event would probably be on a par to Trump with the way Trump. Played uh, against me that time, and he just blitzed me off the table. Williams for that whole event was destined to be world, world champion with with everything that was going on with them and some of the shots he was producing, the way he was maybe interacting with the crowd, everything about it. That that was his that was his time. That was his time to win the event, and and I believe Joe at the time, his wife was 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 not doing great as well, and different different things. So. It, Goes to show you now that that at those points of the players' lives and different terms and things that they're just destined to win it. And he was always the, the worthiest winner that that year. He, he was incredible as a player. Uh, do, do you still think that you've got another big one in you? I do, I do. I don't know if that's, don't know if that's just, I don't know. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Like I've got some big ones still left in me. I hope I do, but uh, as I said, the subconscious is a, is a massive thing. I think, and uh, 
I really, I really, I really am finding it tough to pick back you out that case just now. It, re- it really is. It's I, I don't know what it is, but and it's a massive year for myself coming up because this probably is as a year where I'm I'm really going to have to to have a good year to to maybe even qualify for the crucible as I see. I think I'm, I could be quite low down uh, to, to be one of the seeds. So I'm going to have to going to have to give myself a shake and have a good year. Is it is it about finding things to motivate yourself? Because I know you moved your when you turned in that amazing player championship performance, you'd moved your hand a bit closer to the white, I think. And this year you were talking about you'd made your queue a bit shorter and that got your sort of yeah. focused mind again. Is it about finding these things that gets you back on the practice table? Yeah, 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 that's it. And I've I've always been been thinking would I maybe try and get some some outside help and and I just never ever seem to go for it. That's just I just I just probably seem to the definition of madness to say is is doing the same thing and, and getting the same results. So I don't know if I if I should change, but we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see what, what this season brings. Mm-hmm. You you were talking last time you spoke to me about possibly getting a sports psychologist on board at has that happened or is it still in your mind? Nah, as I said, the wife, that's her. She, she's got that role, didn't anyone? I think she's she's everything <laughs> like that. <laughs> Good she, she thinks you need a sports psychologist, you'll get me. No, that's what she said. <laughs> but, uh, but no, no, I've not, I've not, I've not went down, I've not went down that. That, that route. No, I think if I can feel okay within myself, I think I'd, I'd, I'd stick to that. What was the Players' Championship in 2021 the best single tournament performance of your whole career? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think obviously the, the way I played against uh, Jordan Brown in the first round, then Mark Selby, Kyron, and then Ronnie. Yeah, that would have to be. But but in the in the back of my mind as well, I also realised it was under the COVID conditions. So that in a way, in a way that it sort of negates a little bit of the enjoyment. I suppose I the pride. I should maybe take that to, but it wasn't done in the right in front of the the the, the spectators or, or like the packed house. Although it was a great achievement for me, but. Mm, it was it was done in the backdrop of COVID, which which uh, they, they they weren't great times to be playing snooker, I suppose. Mm. Well, that makes an awful lot of sense. It was a tough time in in, in so many ways for all of us, of course. And uh, while we got through with with snooker behind closed doors, and we must give credit to those that run the sport for doing that. You are listening here to to talking snooker uh, with uh, Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf, and a brilliant guest in John Higgins. John, you've been unbelievably generous with your time. I want a quick couple of maybe light-hearted ones and then a questions from, from our listeners, if that's okay. Are you a big yeah. musicals fan, as Rachel Casey tells us? A musical fan? Musicals. Oh, yeah. I absolutely, absolutely love musicals now, so much so now, because my, my, my two boys have been, have been involved with like, like performing arts groups from an early age from up here. And... 
so much so that my middle boy now is he's he's been accepted for like an honours degree down at Italia Conti, uh, the the school down in down in London. So wow. he, he's going to be leaving us. Uh, he's going to be leaving us now. The end of August, start of September, he's going to start his new life in London, which is going to be a which is going to be a big a big part of your life. Missing up here and and my oldest boy, my oldest boy, he he's he's going to be a, a comedian. Up in up in Scotland, he's wanted to be the new Kevin Bridges. So oh, I, don't, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Okay, that's great stuff. You, you, you've got a very talented family. What about Dallas? I saw you on Celebrity Mastermind, and you come on, you did you did very well. Now, general knowledge, it got a bit more <laughs> difficult, got a bit more hairy. But Dallas, you bloody well got nearly everyone right. What? <laughs> Where does that love come from? Just, I mean, I grew up watching it like you, but why Dallas? I just like love looking at like Victoria Principal every Wednesday night. <laughs> I think that was the reason. <laughs> I think I think that was it. Sue Ellen and every week it was just that. Listen, that was just a, a part of your life. That was that was life growing up for me. Was was been out playing football with, with your mates. Seven, eight, nine, coming in, and it, it was starting at nine o'clock. So you were going away to get your bath, and then then you were watching you were watching Dallas before you went to your bed every Wednesday night. Sign of the cross for me there, because you absolutely nailed uh, life uh, back in the day. The past was, was a foreign country in many ways, but that, you nailed it. Now, I, 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 one more for me. Sorry to hog it, Phil. I get you, you can take it after me. I want to know if there's any what sort of small talk you were having with another one of the guests that night. Michael Howard, of course, is one of our most prominent politicians, formerly yeah. of the Tory Party. Now, I don't want to. Um, it's, it's private one's politics, but I imagine you're probably left of centre. So I can't imagine what you and Michael Howard you'd, you'd have avoided politics. I imagine. <laughs> I was just asking him now. Do you think Scotland will ever go independent? That's what I was asking him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, he's a proper gentleman. He, I think his specialist subject was Liverpool, uh, and I don't think he'd done too great there. But uh, he, he was, you know, he was, he, he was good. No, it, it was, it was surreal. It really was. It was surreal. Now, but on that show, you, you've watched it for for so many years, and and God, you you couldn't explain it to people as soon as that that light flashes on you, and you're sitting there in that that big black seat. Now, just your mind just goes to mush. Really, so I was lucky. I was lucky. Dallas was 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 still okay in my mind, but then some of the general knowledge, uh, yeah, I was I was not very good at that. Was that scarier than any snooker matches? It was. It was Phil. It really was. Yeah, it was pretty tough. Pretty tough. <laughs> um, so I'd like to know who who are your closest friends on the tour after all these years. Who have you been your, your closest pals on the snooker circuit? Eh, uh, obviously you'd, you'd now we always say like the the, the Scottish boys, uh, who you grew up with. A lot of them, a lot of them don't play anymore now. The guys like Marcus Campbell and Big David McClellan, I'm, I'm really friendly with them. Obviously, going to play golf and that with them up here. Uh, but so some of the boys down down south, I go on well with, with Ricky Wald and Andrew Higginson, Rod Lawler. Uh, I think the more south I maybe go, maybe the less friendly I get with them now. So it's maybe 
<laughs> no, kidding. I say. No, kidding. I say. No, listen. I, I, I got, I got on with now. Now, ninety nine percent of the two are they're all good boys. Are all as you said that they're, they're all grew up the same as us, working class people, and you you all get the same principles, most the same principles, values, whatever. So, nah, I got on. I got. I got on. I got on with most of most of the two without a doubt. Walden and Higginson come up in so many answers to that question. I think we've got to organise a talking snooker night out with Walden and Higginson. They seem like the, the most popular boys on tour. Good boys. Yeah, they're really good boys. Know how to have a good night out. Uh, know how to have a dance. Aye, no, good boys, good storytellers. Uh, what more do you want in a night out, really? Aye. <laughs> good bit of football chat as well. So that's... Just but just for guys our age do, I suppose, isn't it? Top football. <laughs> top uh, aye. Uh, that's it. Now I'm, I'm sure you probably won't give me a name, but it'd be remiss of me not to ask who is in the one percent of people who didn't get on with on tour. One percent. I honestly can't tell. I, 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 I'm not sure I'm no telling you. I can't, I, there's no one person that sticks out on tour that says I really don't like that man. Because you've also you've spent time with, with nearly everybody on the tour at one point or another, whether it's been on a lift, whether it's been on a snooker table, whether it's been walking to a venue, whether it's been on an aeroplane. And I really can't, I really can't say that there's anybody that I think, you know what, I cannot stand that person. Don't put me beside them. I don't, don't block me in a lift with them, whatever. No, I really can't come out, come out with anybody there. I think me and Nick have both made the point that working in the sport, it's the players that really make it for us because uh, you're all, in general, just uh, really great to deal with. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good group of good group of guys on the tour. Um, and we said we were going to ask about it before, but we'll come to it now. Like, your relationship with Ronnie over the years has always been uh, OK. There's obviously, like, an enormous amount of respect between the two of you. Yeah. No, that's never they asked me that over the years, and uh, it's the same answer I, I would give them. I don't really know Ronnie at all, really. When you think after all these years we've been on the tour, uh, we've never, we've never really been that close. We've never went out for. I think I could count in one hand the amount of meals maybe we've, we've had together with, with each other. But as I said, just get the utmost respect from as a snooker player. He's just incredible, incredible player. Uh, and I think it goes back to roughly that that time, obviously, with Matt Williams and things, when you're near the top of the game and you're going for the same sort of titles. You cannot be be all that friendly with each other now when you're a respect, of course, but being friends, nah, it, it just wasn't. And we're, we're, we're different we're different characters. Yeah, the, the three of us, three of us are totally, totally different characters as well. Uh, so, but, uh, no, but it's a player incredible. Incredible. Mm. It's interesting with you. The dynamic between you three is fascinating. I don't want to label on the class of '92 because you're all individuals. That's the important thing. But I've noticed on a couple of the recent Crucible um, photographs, for example, when you all gather, I don't know. You may be told to go there, and this may throw what I was saying out the window. But I've noticed you three always seem to sort of congregate together. There's like a so there's there's definitely some sort of kinship there, isn't there? Maybe you're not close to different characters, but you definitely band together on some levels. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I just think because you, you are you are obviously a little bit older than 
maybe the majority on the tour now, and, and you, you sometimes come together and you just ask how, how the family is and how's life and different things. Uh, how's your dad? How, how that, that's just things, just just mundane sort of talking. Really, that that's as, as as far as it would it would maybe go. And uh, not, I, I think I'm, I've been in conversations with Ronnie and Martin. I've talked about the clothing lines and things like that, and I've been stuck in the middle listening to now what, what clothing lines are going to be bringing out next. So, uh, <laughs> so like that. <laughs> that's not your game, is it, John? That's not your game. Not my game. game. <laughs> so, uh, but as you say, yeah, I think I think we, we must have some sort of connection. I think we'll always have that sort of connection because we turned professional at the same year. And I think, yeah, I think just it's understandable. We'll always have that. Yeah. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, that makes sense. Phil, should we watch some of these questions then from, from our listeners? we got Faisan here who asked, what's the best anyone has ever played against you? The 2005 Masters final with Ronnie and the 2019 World Final against Judd come to mind? Uh, well, I'd say that's maybe like a dead heat. I'd, I'd probably have to say Judd over the... over the thing, uh, over the, the, the distance. Yeah. And this is Giles Benz. Uh, would you ever consider coaching or mentoring young players, a bit like Mark Williams does with Jackson Page? Uh, yeah, I think I'd lo- I'd love to do that. I don't know. I don't know if I've got the, the coaching in me. I, I don't think that that. But mentoring them, maybe like some of the some of the players I've done in the past, and guys like Peter Ebden are doing just now. Uh, it, would, it, would, it would be interesting. It would, it would be it would be interesting to maybe get down that route one day and then see if you could maybe add add a little bit to someone's game. It would be interesting to see, yeah. I don't know if he ever contacted you, but Hossein Vafai once was saying in an interview that he'd love to have like a um, a legendary player in his corner and I asked him who he thought specifically and he said he said he'd love to have you in your corner. But I don't know if he'd ever is he ever asked you about anything like that? Hussein, no. No, no, I got on got on good with Hussein. I know he's never no, he, I, I know he, I know uh Sohail, you you used to used to practice up here at a few games with Sohail, and obviously Sohail and Hussein are obviously from Iran and are very close. So, uh, but he he would he would be he would certainly be one that you would love to you would love to how has how 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 does his mind work? Really, he's such a talent, <laughs> such a great cueist, and he's got all the ability in the world. But uh, when I seen him break off like that in that second frame against Ronnie, I'm thinking, what are you doing, son? He <laughs> It was madness, really madness. But uh, he listen. He'll learn for that. He'll learn for that. This is he, you've got to go through maybe some rough patches on the table and maybe take some big beats like that to to come back and you know, make him a stronger player, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. 
Jesse Hegarty says, I'm delighted to hear you're having the, jo- the legend John Higgins on your amazing podcast. I look forward to listening every week. Question for John. In your cue action, would you say you incorporate a slight dip in your elbow as you're feathering and cueing in order to keep the cue more level to the bed of the table? Pass. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a... Yes, quite an, quite a sort of a, uh, nerdy. I hope you don't mind me saying nerdy, Jesse. That, that from it takes a nerd to know a nerd. Um, I'll say that about myself. But um, yeah, you, you you just don't know. But just to widen that, you did, of course. I forgot which tournament it. I mean, you did it generally, but what tournament we all talked about it a lot. When you made that slight difference to your technique, didn't you? In, in recent times, that did, yeah. did make a lot of difference. It did, yeah, yeah. It did. Actually, it was actually a conversation. That uh, Ronnie and Stephen were apparently having during lockdown. I never, I never heard that, and it was somebody that passed on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, and I was thinking, I, I, I didn't know I was that far away from the white. And so obviously, then I look back and, and when I was younger to see if I was always that far back from the white, and uh, I wasn't. I was always, I was, I was a lot closer to the cue ball. So that's what made me try and get closer to the cue ball but I believe in the last few months the last couple of years it's sort of steadily went back I don't know if it's a technique thing or if it's just a life thing where I think you're frightened to feather the, the cue ball I don't know if it's in life you, 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 things like walking on an aeroplane now you, you, you become more frightened whereas when you're younger you go on an aeroplane no problem whereas things like even like crossing the road or even you start putting the speedometer up to 80 or 90 miles an hour, you think, my God, I need to slow down here. And I, I don't know if it's if it's just a natural thing where if I might have been closer to the right, I might be thinking I might fill here. So I just steadily, steadily, it's just minute little things, but you steadily might maybe retract a little bit from the cue ball, and that's what's, that's what, uh, which has maybe made me cue a little bit further back from the right. But I'm trying to address that. I'm trying to actually... But it can be pretty difficult now to, to, to do try, try to get that into your game you know, like hundred percent all the time. Mm, that's an interesting um, take. I wouldn't have thought of that like that. Um, next one is GCHQ eight. Um, do you have any favourite practice routines um, that might be a bit different from what other people do? Not, not really get anything out out of the ordinary. Nah, they're, they're just like the, the, the T setup where you, you put the five reds at the left of the pink, right of the pink, and between the pink and the black. I, I do I do one sometimes that's it's, it's, it's a really difficult one. You try to put the five reds below the black and then five reds between the pink and the black. And then obviously between the reds, I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but put yeah, four reds. Put, put four reds beside the five reds, so you're always putting a red. You've got to take care of the five reds below the black first with blacks, and then after that, try and put red, black, red, black, and clear a path. So you're always clearing a path for the red to get to the opposite side pocket or middle pocket. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that you now without miss, missing taking all blacks, you're a, you're a seriously good player. I've never managed to do it yet, but there must be somebody that's a seriously good player. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Spivey asks which of your it's going to be a hard one I think which of your tournament victories has given you the most satisfaction I, I know there's a lot to choose from uh, 
I know, I know you can say about the world title wins and uh, and obviously you mentioned the first championship football I've played really well, but uh, looking back now, I'd probably say that that UK final with Williams in 2010, which would have probably been the last time like my dad seen me now win something. Now that that would probably that would probably now be 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 up there at the top. Yeah. And Darren McGowan asked, "Do the other members of the class of '92 help you to stay on top of your game?" Uh, I think I think obviously in the earlier part of your career. They, they, they were they were the yardstick along with well for me along with Stephen Henry at the top. Now they, they, they seem to be there, but but nowadays, no nowadays for me it's just really just trying to be in control of my own my own play to try and come and, and give give the other top players a game. Now mm-hmm. uh, there are so many of them now playing at an incredibly high standard. Now I can't just pick out one player that's keeping me on my toes. Now they all, they all keep you on your toes unbelievably bit now. So mm-hmm. you've just got to worry about your own game and, and you hope that's good enough uh, to compete against these guys. John147 asks, are you a big watcher of snooker on television in between your matches? That's another thing Nick, that I used to be. I used to watch a lot of it and I, I don't really do it now. And this, this is I keep on going back to it and I don't know why I keep it's the subconscious that I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm just nearly nearly at my wits end but but I, I, nah, I don't I don't I don't watch I don't watch a hell of a lot of it now. No, I, I used to I used to could put it on and sit and watch different games and and enjoy it, but but nowadays not nah, I, I, I can't see me because I think you suggested earlier with the World Championship when you went out you, you didn't watch much of Lucas win that final no. Didn't watch any of it really. Now, and in previous years, I would sit sit down and watch. I didn't watch any until the final session. I sat and watched the final session, and it was uh, it was incredible stuff. Uh, but up until that, no, I, I was just keeping an eye on who was doing what. And you were hearing the young young CJ was was playing incredible and fourteen five in front. You're thinking, well, he's he's through the final, and then you heard they'd lost. You heard Luke had come back. And you felt wow, incredible. And then obviously the the, the two match semi final, uh, I believe that was obviously the, the, the toughest, the toughest match snooker you, you ever hoped to see. So uh, no, I never watched any of it. No. This is actually one for me that I wanted to ask. We, I don't, I haven't really heard you ever do much. You did a little bit with Eurosport actually in the studio this year, I think. But would you be interested in punditry commentary when you finish, or you've been asked to do in that any of that much? I've, I've not been asked well uh, and see, see to be honest now, when you think about it now back in like 2009 2010 when Eurosport were getting involved it, I think they, they, they were they were sort of asking me to maybe begin to do little things and uh, and then obviously whatever happened happened and then obviously Ronnie's Ronnie's got on board with, with the likes of Jimmy and things so I've never really been asked by Eurosport uh, to, to do anything uh, and BBC I've, I've never really came forward ITV I've never really came forward I, I, I don't know it's maybe it's probably down to me because I, I believe it's some of the events that, that were asked to actually contribute and would you like to get into the commentary box and do things and I've never I've never put myself forward uh, to, to do any of it uh, and 
I'm not that type of person as if they say, oh, well, they should be coming to me. I, I, I don't I don't mean that at all. I've just always been a snooker player first and foremost. And I don't know if any of the, any of the stations would, would ever contact me. I, I want to get involved with me. I, I see what I'd be like. But listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. And I think it's a, I think it's a, I, I've spent all my life playing snooker. I, I might be nearly 50 soon. And, and as I said, that might be a point in my life where I might be looking at different things. Or who knows what might happen after like, I turn 50. I've always said that might be the, the, the age where I might have a look. But to go down the route of a commentator, now I can't say that I know any of these private lives or, or what they're doing. Or, or what, but it's, you're a way longer being a commentator than I ever would be with a snooker player. So I don't think I could ever put my wife through that I don't think because I've been away for so much just just talking to Alan McManus now he's away longer now than, 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 he, than, he's, than he's ever been away yeah and he's maybe lucky that way that he's, he's maybe not not in a relationship he, he's just always focusing on himself different things so he can afford to do that uh, but the likes of myself I, 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 I don't think I could I don't think I could I'd, I'd be built. I'd be built to do that. I really don't mm. think I could. No, makes sense. I think it's Lorenzo for you, Phil, isn't it? Next. Oh, I was going to leave you to do that one. If you, if I leave oh. the honour of reading that one. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know why you're doing that. That's very kind. But yeah, John, we there are a lot, we have been contacted by people that genuinely do love you, actually, and, and and think an awful lot about you. Um, which you may not know about so much because I'm, I'm before I read this out, I'm going to ask. Is it deliberate that you're not on social media? There's no reason why you should be on social media. Many people aren't. But obviously a lot of players are. You probably will have heard, of course, that many get in a bit of angst about being in there. Frankly, they get hard time from punters. Do you deliberately say, I don't want anything to do with that life? Yeah, no interest whatsoever. I know. I don't think I could ever, ever let people get into my sort of private space where they could be shouting abuse at you. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's maybe sad in a way. I'm maybe thinking shout abuse. Now there could be people that might want to actually genuinely that they are interested and they might they might be be wanting to interact with you and different things and but I've I've just never been I've never been interested in that 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 side of side of life, social media side and I, no, Well the, never, the, the, honest, the honest truth is you'd get both. You get people yeah. very kind to you and saying great things, and you get people abusing you. Unfortunately, that's the way of it for famous people. Um, you yeah. probably get more more of the good stuff. Actually, you would, in fairness, get more of the good stuff. I think. But it's not me trying to get your social media. You, I <laughs> see, you don't want to. But but um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just a few people have said it to me. You know, it's shame. You know, not shame, but just notice you're not on there. And I just I just wondered really. Yeah, but you've answered it. I know it's it's a it's a life like the Instagram TikTok. Now your your family's your family's involved. Now my kids, that's that's all they they're they're involved with, and that's the way the life is nowadays. But no, I don't think I could do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> shame, shame. It's it's an audio service, Phil. But occasionally there's a nice visual moment, and John's face then uh, backed up <laughs> what he was saying. Definitely, Lorenzo on email. This is he's one of your big fans here. He says. I followed John's every high, every low, every win and every loss for 30 years. 
I've laughed, cried, clapped salt, hidden under blankets, thrown tantrums, you name it, the works. I want to say that I 100% believe in John, even if the doubt has started to creep in around the edges from the man himself. Know there are so many of us watching, supporting and believing in you every step of the way, in every match, in every tournament. Don't forget it. This sport, its players, the people connected to it via television, podcasts or journalism have all helped me keep going through the pandemic, through lockdown, through the really nasty bits life has thrown at me over the last three years. So I tip my hat to you all. Thank you. And a big thanks to John for all the years of brilliance, for giving me something to support and cheer when I didn't think there was much left to cheer about. I have so much love, emotion and memory wrapped up in this game and the guys who play it. It's been a rock. I wish John the absolute best season. And that's Lorenzo, who's generally a massive fan of yours. And um, But I think on behalf of, of many that have, that have sort of written to us. And I, I hope that's nice to hear. Oh, that's very nice to hear now. God, that's, that was a touching, touching letter now, touching email for, for Lorenzo. He seems a, seems a gemmy, a guy, really. And obviously he's getting a love of the snooker. And, and I happen to be, you now he's one of his favourite players, which is amazing to hear. Eh? So, yeah, I, I don't know if he's ever been to any tournaments or if, he, if he's ever going to come. But listen, by all means, if if he can get in touch with you or, or Phil and he can pass his, his number of that on, and if he comes, I'll certainly sort him out with a couple of tickets or a couple of passes now that he seems a, seems a gem a guy. Oh, that's lovely, John. That's so kind of you. Yeah, it really is. And uh, <laughs> I do want to tick you, tick you off on one thing, though. When you talk about not being a great clear-upper, that's just you being modest. Because people all, this, all the time say... You're probably the the best. I don't like that phrase, dish, actually. I never probably said that. I'm not a big fan of it, people use. But I think you're one of the great clear-uppers in the history of the game. And actually, people say if that if they could pick one player just for their life or their mortgage, whatever, to clear up and win a frame from a seemingly hopeless position, it would be you. Mm. Well, listen, that, that's a good thing. That, that Obviously, it's a, it's a lovely thing for people to say in. If if that is me leaving one little mark on the game, when when maybe I, I don't I don't play anymore or whatever, and, and maybe the obviously snooker is still going to go on, and and some people might mention your name in the future. That that's it's a lovely thing that people would say things like that now that you might always be remembered in a way. Uh, yeah, it'd be lovely, lovely to hear that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you'll probably not like this question, really, but. Uh, the sort of greatest of all time debate and people name top fives, top tens. Um, have you got an idea of where you would put yourself on there somewhere or is that sort of a horrible question to answer? I don't know. Honestly, I, I really don't know because I'm a type of guy that obviously Davises and Henrys, unbelievable players, but You've still got Williams and Sullivan still doing it, and then I've always championed guys like Trump and Selby and Robertson, just incredible, incredible players. Uh, and that's not even bringing into the equation the guys like Peter Ebden before and Jimmy Whites and Alex Higginses and Ray Evans. I, I don't know where they would where they would stand in the whole list. Uh, I just think you've just got to go and obviously the, the sheer volume of the tournament wins and, and and the reason why guys like Davis, Henry and Sullivan are at the top of everybody's opinions is because of the, 
the volume of the titles they've won. And that's not to say then the people coming after me. I'd hope to obviously add more to it, but as I said, guys like Trump add more to them. Selby, Robertson, uh, Williams. Who knows? Who knows where you would be? I mean, listen, the, the one thing that, that you can only go with, with your, your fellow players say about you. And I think it was obviously Stephen Henry's doing a lot of these Q-tips and different things. And I heard that he was interviewing Steve Davis. And he said, I think, something to Steve Davis. He said, if there's a player he would like to be likened to in the present day, who would it be? And I think he said, I, think, I don't know, I might have been, might have been totally wrong when he said that, but he said he'd be honoured if it was John Higgins. It was, And that means that actually means more to you than, than God, every term that you've ever won. That that, that, that guy that, that, I, I, that I started watching when I was eight years old won the world title in 84. And when you fast forward all these years later, and he's turning around and saying he's gone up to actually say to be like to myself, and that just that just sort of blew my mind really in a way. So I said that's that's a special moment now in your life, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. And I have I have heard I heard Graham Dot say it, and I spoke to Tony Knowles and I asked him who's the greatest of all time question, and both those guys said you. So. I guess when you were, you know, 13, Alan McManus was thinking you were rubbish. To think that two <laughs> amazing players would eventually think you were the best player that's ever played, that's something, in it? Of course. Listen, the guy's saying it as well, little Graham. I grew up playing me and I know how great a player he has became and what, what he achieved being world champion as well. He certainly doesn't get the credit he deserves out of the game. Uh, so... As you say, if, if one person can think you you were the best player in the world or whatever, my God, you, you must have done something. Yeah. Are, are you as negative about the game as some other people, John? People on this podcast, we're aware of people writing to us, and there seems to be a few negative noise. Obviously, you have a terrible scandal, the match fixing scandal recently has clearly cast a shadow over the game, no question. And that's a, maybe one thing that you can't deny has been bad. But overall, I know the calendar's been a bit more threadbare due to the pandemic. What, and it's a hot, generalised question, but the state of the game, what would the John Higgins view be on that? Uh, well, I, I know I've I seen that they, they signed today a, a deal with uh, a media marketing company now going forward. Uh, I think that's badly maybe needed. Now, within the game, we try and explore new avenues out, in, especially out in the Far East and different things. Obviously, COVID, it sort of, it, 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 it was a bit of, it, it, it didn't sort of affect us that year or maybe the year after it, but it sort of had like a steady effect after that with, with, the, with, with less tournaments. Let's hope we can get back to more tournaments. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I do think there has to be more more talking uh, between the players and the, and the powers that be. I, 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 I think there definitely has to be more of that and I think there is, there is some things happening behind the scenes where, where, we, where there can hopefully be more more talking. There seems to be a little bit of talking but it, it takes ages for the two for the two parties to be heard. So I think it has to be has, has, has to be quicker dialogue because as you say if we can have Zoom calls like, like this uh, I think the powers that be kind of, there'll be more Zoom calls and, and more calls with the with the top players and see, see, where, it, see where it can go from then on I think mm, That's an interesting way of saying it 
And j- just one more for me. How much longer do you think you're going to grace us with your amazing presence on the table? You suggested to me earlier this year that there might be a four or five years thing. I think you said when, you know, maybe your daughter might be on her way leaving the family home. Is that still in your mind? You'll be in your 50s then? Or are you looking at maybe, you know, can you think of a life outside snooker? What are your thoughts? Yeah, God, I, I'm, I'm, I we've got we've got that that you I think we've got it for another couple of years I think and my thinking and that is when, when I'll be 50 uh, I don't know where I'll be in the, the rankings I don't know I'd, I'd love that I'd love the tour to be be obviously more and more tournaments love to see it thrive in Europe obviously after Lucas Lucas win obviously get back to the, the, the Far East try and get bigger and better just bigger and better everywhere and hopefully the, the four corners of the world obviously it'd be great to see there is little murmurings now the USA could be taking a tournament on as well who knows uh, but as I said it's, it's you've got the habit from within you just can't I, I just can't say yeah I'm, I'm going to play I'm, go, I'm going to play until I'm 60 or I'm never going to retire for this game I think you've still got to have the love for it and then when you stop having the love to actually go in and practice and put yourself through the ringer, which you're going to have to do more than ever now because it's, it's so, so tough near the top of the game. Uh, it can it, it can be a big decision, I think, in a couple of years. I think that's that's all I can say, really. Yeah. Well, we'd all be very sad to see you go, um, but we'll have to we'll let you go now though because you've been very very generous with your time. Thanks so much. It's been uh, it's been amazing. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Nick. Let me just say he's are doing great for the sport now. He's are he's are two top men for the sport, and I hope he can continue doing it because I've got the utmost respect for the two of you. So, all the best, and I hope your podcast goes on to bigger and better things as well. So, thanks for having me on. Oh, John, you've been an absolute delight. I, su- I suggested an hour, said maybe ninety minutes tops, and of course we did two hours. Typical journalist. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Haven't you? Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you very much indeed, John. That's absolutely brilliant. What a marvellous guest. We'll long, we'll long remember having you on. We really will. Phil, we're going to show off as well, aren't we? The Championship League continues in Leicester. We'll be back next time to have a look at uh, the last couple of weeks of action. But uh, it's great to see you as well, sir. And uh, we'll, we'll catch up next time. And I know we'll be inundated with reaction because that was just a, a very special conversation. Yeah, always a pleasure to be here, especially this week. So, yeah, thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Keep enjoying the Championship League, everybody, and uh, keep your thoughts coming to us on any snooker matter. Email us talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. We appreciate your company from John Higgins, Phil Haig, and Nick Metcalf. Cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.